0: Again, the URL is unchangedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the June 25th, 2021 episode of Unconfirmed. Near is an open source platform that accelerates the development of decentralized applications, overcoming high fees and slow speeds with its fast, scalable, low cost and climate neutral blockchain protocol. Learn more at near.org. The Oasis Network is a privacy enabled blockchain platform for open finance and a new data economy. Start building your next idea on the Oasis Network. The Crypto.com app pays you up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin. Get $25 when you download the Crypto.com app with code Laura. The link is in the description. Today's guest is Will Clemente, author of the BTC by WC3 newsletter. Welcome, Will.
1: Hey, Laura. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to do this.
0: Great. So let's talk about Bitcoin. The market has been in a funk the last, I would say, maybe four to six weeks, with Bitcoin trading in the $30,000 range roughly. And it even dipped as low as $29,000 on Tuesday. And yet, people like you are not worried. Why not?
1: Yeah. So um, I think I'm going to reverberate some of the stuff that, uh, you know, Willie and, and Raphael had said on your podcast. Uh, I think it was a week or two ago that you had them on as well. But you know, um, I primarily am looking at um, the on-chain data versus uh, a lot of technical analysis and things like that, although I, I do look at that stuff. Um, but, you know, in terms of on-chain, um, it, this, in my opinion, is looks more like um, a kind of mid-cycle consolidation versus um, necessarily a, a full on uh, bear market, which um, I'm, you know, not ruling out, um, the possibility that we are entering a bear, but at the time, at this time, it doesn't look that way based off of the data that I'm looking at.
0: And so when you say mid cycle consolidation, is that what you said? What does that mean to you? Like what is happening?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, we only have two sample sizes, so I try not to, um, compare, I guess uh, the price structure of, of previous cycles, but, um, if, I was going to compare this to anything. It would be the you know the, the consolidation between the two 2013 double pumps, uh, where what what you had was you know the long term holders come in and kind of set the floor um, and you know step in and, and buy discounted BTC. Um, you know Bitcoin was heavily discounted, but in terms of um, you know in, in traditional finance, if, if people would consider it a bear market and you know a drawdown over fifty percent. But in terms of on-chain, um, on-chain did not look like um, we were in in a bear phase necessarily. So I think that this kind of resembles that. Um, and for some of those reasons, uh, one of the main ones is that you know you have um, the long-term holders really stepping in and, and buying BTC here, um, while a, a lot of the market participants that have been selling are all very young, um, and you can see that in the in the age of the coins um, over the last over the last two three months. Um, you can look at something called dormancy, um, which is a variant of uh, coin days destroyed. So the way you can think of this is like the coin is in a wallet for one day. Um, it's accumulated one coin day. And so then if the wall, I mean, if, if the coin is then moved out of the wallet, um, it's, then, it's then destroyed one coin day. Um, and so looking at the, the coin days destroyed, um, adjusted for volume is what dormancy is. Um, you can see that has been trending down continuously since, call it, uh, late February, early March. Um, and, and that has continued to really, um, move down over the last couple of weeks, especially. So, um, yeah, it, it, the selling appears to be coming from not, you know, OGs or, or, you know, uh, experienced market participants, but rather, um, people that have gotten in, um, somewhat recently, um, which, it, you know, a lot of people would think that it's primarily retail, but what I'm seeing is it's actually, um, larger entities that, um, are, are moving out. So, um, Perhaps these are you know funds that had gotten in um, you know after we'd broken all time highs or kind of you know hopped in when you know Tesla had bought um, and you know uh, Paul Tudor Jones uh, came out and and stated that he had a position um, but you know i think I think those are um, the the sellers that have been really um, moving out over the last couple of months um, I think also you know one of the one of the two main drivers of you know th- this bull market were a, grayscale, um, and then B as well, I think there's a lot of capital coming in and kind of, the, you know, this uh, market neutral position where, um, you know, in the U.S., we don't have this, um, but, you know, overseas, they had these really, um, you could call it like fat spreads um, in, the, in the basis between the, the, the spot and the futures price. Um, and so you could kind of lock that in by, by uh, going long spot, shorting the future. Um, and at that point, at, at one point, it had gotten, you know, spreads had gotten out to like 50%. Um, so I think there was a lot of capital that was coming in from, you know, hedge funds overseas um, that were coming in and taking kind of that like market neutral position um, and, and locking in uh, that spread there. So I think that was another driver of capital in, um, which now those, those spreads are um, almost entirely gone. Uh, I know some some uh, are actually in, some exchanges are actually in, in backwardation. So. Uh, I think those are those are two big drivers that had been bringing capital in as well and then just in general um, you know the the kind of march of institutions coming into the space um, on chain you can see that is that is really slowed um, you're just looking at you know you can identify um, whale entities which are considered like entities over a thousand BTC um, and, and that's been trending down since since late February early March as well um, so I think you know if if we're going to get this big um, second move up um, like second, you know, uh, pump almost like similar to the the 2013, um, I definitely think that you're going to see you know, an uptick in those whales because that's been trending down since late February um, at this point. You know, I don't think that retail really has the power to um, sustain an asset of this size where it did in, you know, 2013, obviously. And then also 2017 um, because, you know people like to throw out those statistics like oh if if everybody in the world bought ten dollars of bitcoin price would go up like yeah but i i don't I don't see that as um completely realistic um I think you're gonna need <laughs> I think you're gonna need um some some larger institutional sized uh players to to you know send in capital to push this thing up, which um you know depending on you know you ask some people that kind of have boots on the ground you know like the Raoul Pauls of the world um Know they might be able to give you a kind of better perspective on when that capital may be coming in. You know, perhaps it's just it just takes time, um, and maybe we don't see that enter until Q three, Q four. Um, but for now, we have kind of seen this at least on chain um, this kind of uh, plateau off and even slight decline in, in the institutional capital coming in.
0: Yeah, there are so many interesting threads in what you said there, but one that I would like to pull on is. What you mentioned about how the sellers are, first of all, recent buyers, but they're also institutions, which I feel is against kind of the narrative that um, was prevailing in crypto as these prices were going up, which was, you know, the institutions are buying. And that was led by companies like uh, MicroStrategy and Tesla. I almost said Microsoft. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> you wish, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, uh, you know, was surprised what you said there. Although the block recently did report just this week that a lot of these corporates that maybe had been interested, there there isn't um, a lot of them actually in the pipeline now. You know, to follow in the footsteps of those companies. Do you think that downturn kind of coincides with the um, remarks on Twitter by Elon Musk about ESG concerns, um, you know, surrounding Bitcoin and environmental concerns, or is there any other kind of um, notable event that you feel coincides with when that shift happened?
1: Yeah. um, I think you bring up an interesting point there that, you know, there had been this big narrative that um, first of all, like the institutions were going to dampen the volatility on both sides and we were just going to go up forever, Laura. <laughs> um, and, and we were, we were never gonna, uh, you know, see any major correction. But I think when, w- w- what Bitcoiners really didn't take into account was, um, you know, the, the impact that um, the derivatives have on, on the Bitcoin market. And, you know, you look at the size of when we were up, um, you know, in the 50, 60 K range, um, the amount of liquidity that was in derivatives versus spot um, was just massive, and so um, when you had you know this this big unwind um, on the way down, I think that really um, I guess enhanced or, or you know kind of accelerated some of these moves that we saw these big liquidation moves down, um, and so I think. And to the upside as well, that, ha- you know, we have short squeezes as well. But, you know, I think a lot of this, you know, that big move down to, that original move down to 30K, at least, you know, that was that was a long squeeze, right? So uh, I think the, the leverage in the system, which isn't necessarily all bad because, you know, you need liquidity, but um, it is going to cause these big um, swings up and down. Um, as far as like, what is, you know, perhaps preventing this, you know, institutional capital to march in, I think... You know, first of all just from like a price structure standpoint I think if, if I was an institution um, I'd probably be waiting for some stability in price um, I think at this point um, you have a lot of uncertainty in, in terms of you know the momentum because you know bitcoin's obviously like very momentum driven and a lot of that momentum um, has kind of been knocked out of Bitcoin so I think perhaps um, they're they're waiting for you know some stability in in, in the price but um, also just like fundamentally I think, You know, the whole Elon ESG thing, I think that did really um, put a damper on on a lot of um, institutional opinions on on Bitcoin and, uh, you know, all the stuff that's been going on with China as well. You know, if if you're looking from the outside in and don't really have a deep understanding of, um, you know, what what that really entails and how that, you know, essentially is long term bullish for Bitcoin that you're seeing, you know, hash spread out across the world, um, you know. A lot of a lot of these headlines are, are you know probably scaring off people um, that are looking from the outside in um, so th- I, yeah. I I couldn't give you like I don't know if it's one thing as well like it might it might be multiple might be like a combination of, of several things um, but yeah I I would you know I do often wonder is this is it just gonna take them time right because like know they have these these really long processes that they have to go through um they're not like sailor where they have you know the majority of their voting rights um and and they can just make like a rash decision to just it's a large bitcoin position i think um even if they do it'll probably be you know something like like square did you know they put like five percent of their treasury into bitcoin so i think you'll see something like that if it does happen um but you know the optimist in me says that it's coming q3 q4 but you know Maybe not, but I I, I think um, the ESG stuff definitely put a damper on that.
0: Yeah, so in a moment, we're gonna talk a little bit about what the rest of the year will look like. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. With over 10 million users, Crypto.com is the easiest place to buy and sell over 90 cryptocurrencies. Grow your crypto with Crypto.com Earn, which pays up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin and 14% interest on your stablecoins. When it's time to spend your crypto, nothing beats the Crypto.com Visa card, which pays you up to 8% back instantly and gives you 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 by using the code Laura. The link is in the description. Did you know nearly $338 million worth of the NFTs were sent last year? And in 2021, that number is growing faster than ever. If you're looking to make your first NFT, check out NIR's fast, scalable, low-cost, open-source platform. NIR is investing 80 million NIR tokens in community-led projects over the course of five years to power sustainable innovation through its ecosystem with fundraising opportunities and support for DAOs and dApps to engage fans and reach new audiences. Come learn why NEAR is the infrastructure for innovation at nea.org. Back to my conversation with Will Clemente. So, something that you tweeted which was fascinating to me was a chart showing that each cycle after a Bitcoin halving has three peaks of supply being held by short-term market participants. So, can you explain kind of what that means and, um, you know, how you extrapolate from that to this cycle.
1: The, the takeaway here is that, like, you kind of have these hype cycles within the main um, cycle of Bitcoin. And so, you know, Bitcoin is driven by, you know, new market participants. Um, first of all, you know, you have the having, which is almost like this push. Um, Willy Woo likes to analogize. It's like you're, you're in a bath and you push the water in the bathtub and that Gives it that initial momentum going, and then you know from there after that push, then you know the the speculators come in, um, and you know just natural human you know greed kicks in, and, and people FOMO into Bitcoin drives it up, right? Um, but I think what what that's really showing is like, yeah, you have these like mini hype cycles almost within the main um, within the main's um, cycle itself, where um, yeah, each each cycle you've seen these three very distinct peaks of. Um, and what I was looking at is like the portion of supply, um, held by, um, the shortest term market participants. I think in the chart, it was like under three months old, I think was what, what I had, um, highlighted. Um, so yeah, it's, it's showing right now, at least, um, we've, we've only had one peak versus, um, you know, the three that have taken place in, in previous cycles. So I, I'm, I'm maybe it, you know maybe we don't have exactly that that three number because you know granted we only have two sample sizes but I I suspect um it would it's going to be more than just one that we've that we've had so far and um it appeal it, it appears now that um, we're still cooling off after that that first big um, hype cycle of of shorter term holders um, stepping in which you know once again um like we kind of mentioned earlier is is also supported by um, the selling the age of the coins that are that are moving on chain. Um, it, they're all, once again, like, you know, shorter term market participants. Um, I think in, in this space, a lot of times um, it's beneficial to follow, you know, the the smart money that's been in here and in, in, in the space for a while. Um, because, you know, they they've been through multiple of these cycles. They've been, you know, through. Multiple, t- multiple deaths of Bitcoin um, when, <laughs> when it seemed like hundreds. all was lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think some guy actually created a website, and it's called um, bitcoinisdead.com or something like that. And he literally highlighted every time Bitcoin is dead and then the price, what it did from that time, um, which is pretty hilarious. But yeah, I think when you, like, in, in my opinion, you should be following those those experienced market participants, and they're doing the complete opposite of selling right now. Um, it, you know, everything on chain is showing that, um, the longer term holders are actually, um, accumulating right now. Um, and there's a metric, you know, literally called um, long-term holder net position change, which has been trending up for the last um, month month plus really aggressively over the last couple of weeks. Um, and then also you can look at, um, so, so the way Glassnode distinguishes like a long-term holder from a short-term holder is they have a, they have a threshold of 155 days. So, you know, the super smart folks over there—they—they they did some, you know, statistical analysis and looked at um, once once you get to that 155-day threshold, which is five months, um, the likelihood of of the coins being moved back out of that wallet com- completely just drops off a cliff, and you can see this and and they put an article out um, in their research section of their website if you if you're interested in that. Um, so they they have that cutoff there for the long short-term holder thing, um, but. What you what you've seen is that you know traditionally throughout um the, the bull market is that you know the, the longer term holders are scaling out while the shorter term holders, the speculators, are coming in and, and driving price up. Um and then conversely in the bear market you have the, the longer term holders coming in and, and buying increasingly cheap uh BTC while the shorter term holders move out of the market, right, because it's no it's not fun anymore because price isn't just going vertical. <laughs> um and, and so you see that in the, in the previous two cycles as just kind of like an underlying, almost like the current driving um, the cycle. But also, um, in in 2013, between the two double pumps, um, I think we touched on this earlier. Like the the long term holders are um, what what set that floor in between the two um, the two pumps. Where um, if you look at this chart, you know the long term holder, uh, the supply held by them, had been trending down throughout the first uh, pump of the two. And then in between that when we consolidated for I think it was like four or five months, um, then that was that was actually trending up um, while the short the term holders moved out um, and then in the second half, um, then they, then the long-term holders began moving back out once price started going parabolic again. Um, and then the longer term holders once again you know moved in and, and the speculators came back in and then of course moved into the bear market and then longer term began accumulating again. Um, and then it, very similarly too in like late 2016 there was that same dynamic where, um, the, the longer term holders had, um, you know, kind of stepped in and, and set the floor. So I think you can look at it two ways, right? Like if you, if you have a bearish bias, um, you can look at this and say, yeah, well, this is what happens at the beginning of bear markets, right? Like the longer term holders, um, you know, they start, they start buying, but, um, conversely, um, and you know, this is, this is where I kind of stand is that we're in this more, uh, also like mid consolidation where the, the longer term holders are actually um, setting the floor um, contrary to um, the fact that we're necessarily in a bear, um, which is like one of the one of the other main things that I'm looking at to like distinguish the two is the number of new users coming on the blockchain or like usually at, at the end of the cycle. Um, after after the big peak, um, you start to see those new users just kind of drop off a cliff and no, you know, no new users well, a lot of that is, you know, new speculators coming in, um, are, are coming on chain. Um, but we're actually seeing the opposite where the, the amount of new users has actually been, been going up, um, especially over the last two, three weeks, um, which I think is twofold. First of all is, um, you know, people attracted by lower prices. Um, cause excuse me, um, an entity is not necessarily just a person, um, but it can also be a corporate treasury or an investment fund. It's just an entity. It's not necessarily determined by the size of their holdings. Um, so that that could be um, not necessarily, you know, um, it, it could be, it could be any any cohort. But you you are seeing new users coming on chain, which is contrary to what you see at, at tops. Uh, but I would be interested to see um, how, how much of that is is coming from Latin America. Um, I, I know. I know Glassnode tries to to not cross the line of of going between like the analytics side of things and the privacy side of things, which I think they do a very good job at. Um, not kind of crossing that line, which kind of goes you know against the kind of ethos of, of bitcoiners. But I, I would I would think would be fascinating to see how many of that um, how many of those new users coming on chain are actually from Latin America, because uh, that kind of coincides with right around when. Um, you know, the the El Salvador announcement came out. So I, I I think that that's really interesting, but um, yeah, new users coming on chain and, and yeah, that that's not uh, any resemblance of a, of a bear market.
0: So um, we have kind of talked a little bit about how there tends to be these cycles. They usually coincide with the having, you know, obviously if for whatever reason, this time around, uh, Bitcoin didn't actually follow the similar pattern that it had established after the previous halvings. So that would be big news, it, you know, would probably be analyzed to death. But um, at this moment in time, what's your projection for how things will go in Bitcoin for the second half of the year?
1: Yeah. Um, so I think like one of the other things to look at is not only just the age of the of the wallets um, and kind of their their selling and buying behavior. Um, And so Glassnode, um, not only do they have, you know, the the long-term holders, but they also have something called um, a liquid-liquid supply, which is looking at the behavior, you know, the selling uh, behavior of the entities. Um, And so um, for for the entities that have a very low likelihood statistically um, of of selling, like, um, not likelihood, but behavior tendency to sell, um, I think, I forget the certain threshold, but it's, they're labeled illiquid if they have, you know, under I'm speaking of an earlier maybe like under a 25. percent they sell under 25 percent of their holdings uh, so when you look at those um, entities they've been they've been adding really heavily here um, versus that that, that all kind of got puked out um, when we had that big dump down but over the last couple of weeks not only is it is it long-term holders um, but it's it's um, entities that have really no history of selling coming in and stepping in um, and so I think that process of coins that that had kind of got puked out by those by the short term holders and are now getting scooped up by those um, strong term you know, strong hands, I guess you could you could call it. Um, I think that process is just going to take some time. Um, I think it perhaps it takes another month from here before we really see higher prices. But um, I think that consolidation process of of coins um, moving into I, I almost like to think of it like you know. Somebody spilled water on the counter, right? And you need a lot of paper towels. And so like these, these strong hands, these are the, these are the paper towels coming in and, and soaking up the coins, right? And so like, you know, it, that, that process is, is just gonna, it's just gonna take, you know, I think it's a matter of weeks at this point, um, cause I think we're starting to move in the latter half of that. Um, but that in, in that metric um I, I like to call it the like the strong term um, the strong hands metric willie Woo calls it the rick astley indicator <laughs> um I, that that's starting to trend into um really strong accumulation and i actually worked with willie to kind of create a variant of that um which is like a very simple ratio of comparing um that that liquid the, the liquid holders to the liquid holders and so what you see is that um you, you have this movement right now of, um, you know, liquid to a liquid hands while um, price is going down. So like the, the ratio is trending up, price is trending down. And so for like anybody who's, um, you know, somewhat familiar with technical analysis, that's like a classic um, bullish divergence where you have, you know, the, the indicator making higher highs while the, the uh, price is trending down. And so the last time you saw that was in uh, late January when we had that big correction um, after that first, you know, big blow off top, um, and then in that dip was actually when Tesla bought, um, but and that, that kind of gave us some juice on the way out of that dip. But you also had this this um, the second big, um, I guess, you, the this bullish divergence where you know the oscillator had made a higher high while price had made a lower low. So once again, like in that in that uh, at that time, you had those those strong hands come in and, and scoop up those coins and set the floor. So. That that looks very similar, um, and the bullish divergence now is a lot more clear than the one that um, occurred in January. But that that's something I have a very close eye on. Um, also, also profit taking. Um, so you know, uh, I think you've heard SOPR before. That's basically a, a metric that looks at um, the profit taking of, of coins on any given day, uh, created by um, on-chain analyst Renato. Um, and and so what what you see in this is very similar, where the profit taking has um, made a, a lower. Um, I'm sorry, a higher, um, a higher low. So you know, it, it had a really strong drawdown, um, and then it had another drawdown in the last week or so. But it didn't go as far down, so um, people didn't sell at a loss as much as they had in the first drawdown. So, like to me, this is suggesting that um, you know the, the profit taking um, in terms of that, you know, people aren't selling at a loss as heavily. And so a lot of that, a lot of the capitulation that was going to take place, people have already done so. Um, and so once again, like that, that oscillator is making a higher high while price is making a lower low, which is once again a, a bullish divergence. Um, and and coincidentally, that this also happened in late January. Same thing. Um, but the last time there was <laughs> a, a clear bullish divergence was in late um, late January. So that's that's another interesting thing.
0: All right. So I guess we see where we are in the mini cycle. Um, All right. Well, this has been super informative. And um, yeah, we'll have to see where we end up by the end of the year. Thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed.
1: Thank you, Laura. This is super fun and um, I'd be happy to come on again.
0: Yeah, that would be great. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Designed for the next generation of blockchain, the Oasis Network is the first privacy-enabled blockchain platform for open finance and a responsible data economy. Combined with its high throughput and secure architecture, the Oasis Network is able to power private, scalable DeFi, revolutionizing open finance and expanding it beyond traders and early adopters to a mass market. Its unique privacy features can not only redefine DeFi, but also create a new type of digital asset called tokenized data that can enable users to take control of the data they generate and earn rewards for staking it with applications, creating the first ever responsible data economy. Thanks for tuning in to this week's News Recap. First headline, Bitcoin hashrate is moving out of China in a big way. According to data from the block, Bitcoin's hash rate crashed nearly 50% over the last month, coinciding with multiple regions in China moving to shut down Bitcoin mining. Notably, Xinjiang and Sichuan, the the two top Bitcoin mining regions in China, cut the proverbial mining cord, taking an estimated 30% of the network's hash rate offline. China's decision to shut down Bitcoin mining has kickstarted a hash rate migration, with Chinese miners seeking to move Bitcoin mining equipment to more friendly jurisdictions. On Tuesday, a Chinese logistics firm decided to ship 6,600 pounds of mining equipment to Maryland, first reported by CNBC's Eunice Yun. Thomas Heller, chief business officer at Compass Mining, told Coindesk, 3,000 kilograms sounds huge, but compared to the amount of miners that get shipped regularly, it's just a small batch. The secondary market for Bitcoin mining equipment appears to be flooded. Kevin Zhang, vice president of Foundry, reported that a calling based in China has already, quote, shipped out over 20,000 ASICs in the last two weeks, adding that the great ASIC exodus will be anything but seamless. Hosting capacity outside China was already oversubscribed and scarce prior to these regulatory announcements. Already, the implications of the minor exodus from China are being felt. On Monday, Bitcoin mining machine manufacturer Kanan said in a press release that its Avalon miner unit is already in operation in Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan is a country worth keeping an eye on as the Mining Haven competition heats up due to its proximity to China and cheap electricity rates. Following Kevin Shang's logic about the possible oversupply of mining equipment, Bitmain announced the suspension of Bitcoin mining rig sales. Bloomberg reports that the price tag for a top-tier rig has fallen 75% since April. The block's data shows that Foundry, a subsidiary of Digital Currency Group, saw the hash rate of its mining pool, Foundry USA, increase nearly 15% over the past month, shooting into the top 10 of mining pools worldwide. Other top pools, such as Antpool and F2Pool, saw hash rate decrease 50% during the same period. Speaking of China, China bans crypto for the fourth time. The People's Bank of China released a statement on Monday that not only reiterated previous crypto bans, but additionally asked Chinese exchanges to investigate, identify, and cut off any user accounts associated with over-the-counter crypto exchanges. The block reports that four institutions, including Alipay, issued a similar notice, warning that any users found dealing in crypto transactions would see their account terminated and reported to the relevant authorities. The PBOC's words follow a similar May notice from three Chinese self-regulatory bodies reiterating the 2013 and 2017 crypto bans on Bitcoin transactions and ICOs, making this week the fourth time China has banned cryptocurrency. Next headline. Citigroup launches a cryptocurrency business unit. On Thursday, Citigroup officially announced the Digital Assets Group, its new business unit within its wealth management division, dedicated to the cryptocurrency and blockchain space, as reported by The Block. The move comes after Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs launched their own crypto initiatives for wealthy clients to gain exposure to cryptocurrencies. Next headline, MicroStrategy bonds trading below face value. On Monday, MicroStrategy announced the purchase of an additional 13,005 Bitcoin for roughly $489 million in cash, which equates to approximately $37,000. $1,600 per Bitcoin. The latest Bitcoin acquisition comes shortly after the company completed its $500 million offering of secured notes last week. On Tuesday, Coindesk reported those notes, which come due in 2028 and bear an annual interest rate of 6.125%, were trading at $0.97.75 on the dollar, meaning the bonds traded below face value. The latest purchase pushes pushes MicroStrategy's overall investment in Bitcoin to over $2.7 billion in cash, equating to an aggregate holding of 105,085 Bitcoin on the software company's balance sheet. While MicroStrategy continues to go all in on its Bitcoin accumulation strategy, Frank Shaparo, director of news at The Block, published an article that paints a dire picture for those waiting for other public corporations to join the ranks of HODLers. One major obstacle to actual adoption is how Bitcoin is accounted for. One source vented to Frank, quote, accounting is fucking brutal. No real company can take the generally accepted accounting principles earnings per share hit. The crux of the issue, notes Deloitte's Rob Macy, is that, quote, each quarterly reporting period effectively looks at the lowest price that Bitcoin has ever traded at since its purchase and requires a write down. For now, it appears that outside of Tesla, Square, and the few public corporations that have already purchased Bitcoin, the demand is just not there. Or, as an anonymous source from a crypto firm specializing in institutional customers put it, quote, new net long positions from corporates outside of MicroStrategy are essentially non-existent. Next headline. Crypto fundraising didn't slow, even as Bitcoin dipped below $30,000. Earlier this week, Bloomberg reported the venture capital raises that venture capital firms had invested $17 billion into the crypto industry this year, doubling the previous yearly record of $7.4 billion in 2018. And that $17 billion all came within the first six months of the year. The trend continues this week with several high-profile raises, Andreessen Horowitz launched a new $2.2 billion crypto fund with plans to invest in a slew of companies across the blockchain and digital asset space. A16Z also announced that former Securities and Exchange Commission Director Bill Hinman will join the firm as an advisory partner. Chainalysis, a blockchain analytics firm, brought home $100 million in a Series E funding round that valued the company at $4.2 billion, doubling its valuation in about three months. Co2 led the latest round. Amber Group, a crypto financial services company, raised $100 million at a valuation of $1 billion, in a Series B read, led by China Renaissance. Michael Wu, the CEO at Amber, boasted, quote, "...cumulative trading on the platform has already doubled since the beginning of the year, increasing from $250 million to 500 million dollars Blockchain Capital announced it had closed a new fund of $300 million in an oversubscribed raise that included, quote, "...strategic investors, pension funds, major university endowments, and family offices from around the world." Most notable amongst those are PayPal and Visa. Next headline, John McAfee found dead in prison days before U.S. extradition. On Wednesday, John McAfee, the controversial software magnate, was found dead in his prison cell near Barcelona. The Catalan Department of Justice said, quote, everything indicates that it could be a death by suicide. McAfee was awaiting extradition to the U.S., which that Spanish high court had authorized earlier that day. McAfee had been detained in Spain last year on tax evasion charges. In March, McAfee was indicted on several charges of money laundering and fraud, revolving around an alleged pump-and-dump scheme and multiple ICOs. U.S. attorneys say McAfee and his team would purchase altcoins, promote them on Twitter, and then sell them once they had boosted the price. He also allegedly promoted ICOs without disclosing he was paid to do so. Next headline, Crypto Crime blockchain island, and 69,000 missing Bitcoin. The Times of Malta published a claim that estimates nearly $70 billion in cryptocurrency moved through the island when it first introduced its crypto-friendly strategy in 2017. One such method, a transitory period, gave crypto startups and major exchanges like Binance permission to operate without a license for up to a year, quickly turning the country into the Wild West, as an industry source put it. According to the Times sources, quote, Malta's act-fast approach to attracting digital currency platforms to the island before the necessary laws were in place was among the red flags facing the country. The news comes as evaluators from the Financial Action Task Force are considering placing Malta on its gray list of company, countries who are not doing enough to prevent financial crime. According to a Bloomberg report, two brothers who founded AfriCrypt, a South African crypto exchange, have disappeared, taking up to 69,000 Bitcoin worth about $2.3 billion with them. Africrypt shut down in April, coinciding with Bitcoin's $64,000 all-time high, with the company citing a breach in its system. Soon after the supposed breach, the brothers, Rais and Amir KG allegedly transferred their investors' money from company accounts through crypto mixing services. Time for fun bits. McDonald's and the market dip. With the latest drop in the crypto markets, as I discussed with Will, it looks like a few of our favorite crypto people might have to take some new jobs. For those of you listening on audio, my favorite meme on Twitter this week was when several of them posted about their new McDonald's side hustle as Bitcoin dipped below 30K. Frank Chaparro posted a selfie in a McDonald's head, and it looked shockingly legit and <laughs> worn in. And he tweeted that he has some personal news to share with his followers insinuating he's left the pen to pick up a spatula. Another McDonald's meme that made me laugh was Ryan Watkins' tweet depicting Michael Saylor wearing Mickey D's attire, addressing an imaginary customer saying, Bitcoin is a swarm of cyber hornets serving the goddess of wisdom, feeding on the fire of truth, exponentially growing ever smarter, faster, and stronger behind a wall of encrypted energy. And the customer replying... Right. Can I get a Big Mac with fries? All right. Thanks for tuning in to learn more about Will and his BTC by WC3 substack. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes. What's up, everyone? The Unchained newsletter has switched from a weekly news recap to a daily blog in order to keep up with the crazy pace of crypto news. Each morning, you'll get four to five quick headlines, a crypto meme or two, and a few recommended reads. Head to unchainedpodcast.com and the sign up for the email newsletter is right on the homepage. You can also find the link in my Twitter bio. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.